On Friday, I got a call from a person who used to be a member of the church, and it had been a while since I've talked to her or seen her, and she called to contact me and to get me caught up with family and how their family was doing. Now, several years after leaving the vineyard, their youngest son, who's now 20, um, had drifted away from the Lord. And he got involved with the wrong kind of friends, and he kind of he gave in to the pressure to conform to their agenda. Um, he started taking uh, smoking pot, taking psychedelic drug called mushroom, which is similar effects to LSD. Got involved in um, some drug acti uh, drug activity, gang activity, and eventually, what often happens, he got caught, arrested, and put in jail. Now, you can imagine how difficult that would be for a mom to see her son behind bars. She continued her story, and she says, Since our son was placed into solitary confinement, he requested a Bible. And he read the Bible for the next 40 days from cover to cover and started reading it again. And he told this mom, Mom, I remember when I used to go to the vineyard. I remember seeing people crying. And I remember people being on the floor in time with God. I remember seeing people getting prayed for and healed. I knew it was real. And I know it's real now. And I've recommitted my life to Jesus. And he, um, she said to me, Pastor Clara, since he has renewed his relationship with Jesus, he has witnessed to members of the, fac the staff there at the prison. And to anybody that could hear him, his neighboring inmates, he's been talking to them about Jesus and reading passages from the Bible and has led many to the Lord Jesus. This is here in San Antonio. This is someone we, some of us know. And he asked me to call you and tell you this. Tell Pastor Clara, tell Pastor Randy, thank you. I wish I had listened to your counsel. But thank you for being faithful, pastors. Now, we've been in a series that we're going to complete today. Someone said to me, I'm sorry to finish this book. But we're going to complete the series today from 1 Peter. And it's called, This is Not Our Home. And it's, we know that it's about Peter giving us strategies on how to live in a world that is pressuring us to conform to their image like this friend, this young man did. Under the pressure of his peers, he conformed and went their way. And Peter gives a strategy, how are we going to stand in a society that's constantly pressuring us to conform to its image? And so we looked at topics like submission, we looked at topics like suffering and Christian leadership, and a lot of other more strategies. Now, in Eugene Peterson's book, one of the books I read when I was sick recently, called Working the Angles, the Shaping of Pastoral Integrity, he writes about biblical leadership, and he talks about the importance of having pastors and leaders, spiritual leaders in our lives to help us get through our life. It's part of our strategy, is to have these kind of people in our lives. Now, I know that some of us can be wary about having a spiritual leader or a pastor speak into our lives for a variety of reasons. Some, like me, uh, pride ourselves in being uh, independent, self-reliant Americans. And if it's going to get done, I'm going to do it myself. Now, other of us are, don't really like the idea of an authority figure in our life telling us what to do. We want to make the rules. But this is what Peterson says in his book. 
quote, there's a saying among physicians that the doctor who is his own doctor has a fool for a doctor. It means, as I understand it, that the care of the body is complex and requires detached judgment and objectivity. And it's difficult to detach ourselves from ourselves because we want things to be easy and comfy. And so in the process of evaluating our personal health, we might easily deceive ourselves in order to avoid pain. Well, just as a doctor has a fool for a doctor if he's his own doctor, Peterson makes the point that we are foolish to think that we can spiritually guide ourselves through this world system. We're very susceptible to being deceived and going down a path of brokenness and harm like my friend in jail. Now, it's true in 21st century America. We have volumes of information available to us, right? I mean, just we can read about the Bible. We can read about Christian living. We can uh, hear preachers teach. I mean, there's just so much that even as early as 20 years ago, any pastor would have been thrilled to have half the amount of information that we have currently in his library. It just wasn't possible. And so because of that, a lot of times, Christians will believe, people will believe that because I have all this information available to me, somehow I don't really need a pastor in my life. I don't need spiritual leaders. I can do it myself. I mean, I can listen. I can even see them preach. Now, I am the first to say I cannot deny the benefit of having amazing contemporaries preaching today available to us. Phil, Phil Yangtze is one of my favorite, Beth Moore, Brennan Manning, Rick Warren, Dallas Willard, Joyce Myers, Joel Olstein. Fantastic speakers, but you know what? None of those speakers are going to come into my life and tell me, Clara, I think you need some help. I think there's something wrong. They're not going to do that. And so we self-evaluate ourselves and figure, well, I'll listen to them and I'll figure what's wrong with myself. We need real flesh and blood people, spiritual leaders, pastors in our lives to maneuver in our society today. We need people who we've invited. You can speak into my life. I've been involved with spiritual friendships that were studying scripture and studying books and works. And we regularly get together and I've told them, they're as young as in their 20s. You have the right to speak into my life. I'm going to speak into your life because I need you. You need me. Okay, we need people who we have invited to speak into our lives so they can help us. Now, Paul in the first century said this to the Corinthians people. I've observed this have a tendency to want a lot of guys but very few fathers. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, Though you have countless guides in Christ, you have not many fathers. In the passage, if you look in the context, it's very clear that Paul's being sarcastic and he's not complimenting them. I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy that you have tons of guides, but you don't have a father. You don't have a mother speaking into your life and your spiritual being. I'm not happy about this. And quite frankly, it's a whole lot easier to go away, Right? From a book, all we have to do is just close it, put it back on the shelf, no more change. It's a lot easier to turn off the iPod, the podcast, right, of a digital media pastor. No issue. 
But you have a real life person in your life saying, eh, can we talk? I'm thinking there's something wrong here. Haven't you done this before? And what's God doing right now? And as you prayed, what has God been telling you? Prayed? Are you kidding me? Oh, you haven't been praying. Uh, would you like someone saying that to you in crises? Probably not. And so we read a book, and we put on our favorite preacher, and we're happy, and we're comfy. And that's not a good place to go. That is not working in, within the strategy that Peter speaks to us in First Peter, that we need to have spiritual leadership in our life, and we need to learn to be good followers. We cannot do it alone. So, the other thing, besides having someone who can speak into our lives that we've invited, is someone that we can follow, someone who has an example that's worthy of fellowship, right? Oh, that's how you forgive someone who's hurt you? Oh, that's how you pray? That's how you share your faith? It's a lot easier when we can see it in flesh and blood and so I would recommend, like, you say, well, I, I'd like to learn how to pray, Claire. I mean, I keep hearing prayer, 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 but uh, can you, like, give me some cues? Well, go to the intercessory prayer group. Watch how they pray. And maybe someone you meet there will say, hey, I meet with God daily. You want to sit in on my prayer times? And you do that, and you're like, wow, that's not that hard. I get it. You know, maybe you're having difficulty in your marriage. Okay, so maybe you should go to the marriage enrichment group and hang out with some people that are trying to figure it out too and some who have figured it out. So they can speak into your life and they can say, hey, you know when we dropped in on Saturday and you were there all day long and you started ragging on your wife because the place was a mess? You ever thought about maybe playing with the kids on Saturday when you're there all day long or helping her clean up? Ever thought about that? Would you like a friend like that? Daniel, would you like a friend like that? <laughs> but uh, he's my son-in-law. He likes to be, be sassy. That's why I picked on him. I knew he'd give us a laugh. We want, if we want to grow up spiritually, and we want to have strategies on how to maneuver in this world so that we don't, conform to how what we see on TV or what our friends are doing, we have to have spiritual leaders and be good followers. If you want to learn how to uh, share your faith to the unchurched, go to the Brondera community group and join Alpha. Now, rarely do we tell our kids, kids, someday when you grow up, I want you to be a really good follower. Do we tell that to our kids? No, we say, hey, don't go with the crowd, right? Stand up for yourself. Do what's right, make right choices. Even if everybody else is doing it, you're not going to do it. But the spiritual reality is that unless we're willing to humble ourselves and connect to people of character, of faith, great people, it's going to be a lot harder to maneuver through life and like my friend end in jail. Now, recently I went to my first Spurs game. I know I've been here 16 years, never been to a Spurs game, but Randy got some really good tickets. I just said, okay, I'll go and be a San Antonian. 
And I was really impressed. Were. I mean, Duncan 6, 11, Spittler 6, 11, Ginobili 6, 9, and Parker looked shrimp at 6, 2. <laughs> okay, now this is just going to show you my ignorance about the players. Okay, Jamie, don't laugh, okay? But when I went there, I expected Tim Duncan to make most of the, sport, the score, most of the points. Come on! And he's like, he had the lowest scores of anybody on the team for the amount of time he was out on the court. And he seemed perfectly happy, you know, just doing the rebound and setting things up for the others. And he was just like a follower, just a big follower. And he wasn't leading. You know, every team needs a leader, and every team needs a lot of great followers. Right? Okay, so how are we going to be a good follower? Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. In the same way you are young, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourself, all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Wow, whose hand are we submitting to? God, wow. Really, God, in my job situation right now? At home, really? Yep, the mighty hand of God, and he may lift you up in due time. Now, Peter is addressing you who are younger in the, that first verse. And in Judaism, a younger person was anybody under 30. Anybody under 30, raise your hand. Okay, you are the younger people, okay? Okay, now clearly he's, it does refer to those under your 30, but he also says all of us. Is there anybody here that's not all? All of us are to be humble, right? All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another and humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, a simple definition for humility is this, agreeing with God. Can we all say that? Agreeing with God. That's a very simple. I know there's more complicated and lots of volumes written on humility, but this one just stuck with me, agreeing with God. So if God wants you to be a psychologist and you prepare yourself to do this work, guess what? You are submitting to the hand of God and you're being humble. If God calls you to be the best bass player in this church and you prepare, you work towards that, guess what? You're submitting to the will of God. You're being humble. If God calls you to be a bagger at HEB and on the weekends go and pray for people in the hospital to be healed and you do that, you're being humble and you're agreeing with God. So it really doesn't matter what our function is, what our career is, right? It is an attitude of the heart which is agreeing with God. That makes us humble. And when we're humble to one another and we agree with God in relationship to our relationships and we do what he calls us to do, this church is going to make it even under pressure. It's one of our strategies. And God will show us his favor. Oh, well, that's nice. Not only are you going to help me, but you're going to now give me favor for being humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the, and who are the humble? Those who agree God. Okay. We want God's favor. I hear people say, I want the favor of God. It takes being humble and agreeing with God's purposes in our lives. Okay, so what does Peter mean by pride? 
Now, by pride, he's not talking about healthy self-estimation, okay, or self-esteem. Like, hey, I, I think I'm a pretty good person. I, I, I think I'm pretty. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. Pride is when we are, have this unreasonable amount of conceit. For example, let's say there's this beautiful female actress. I mean, she's beautiful. And everybody says she's on the top ten. For her to think that she's attractive would be reasonable, right? It's a self-assessment, an accurate one. But if this same beautiful actress decides that now, because I'm so beautiful, I'm a fountain of wisdom, and therefore I can talk authoritatively about ethics and politics, right? That is pride. If a scientist talks about the authoritatively about science, that's not pride. But it was suddenly this scientist can now talk about morality and the meaning for life. You're probably talking to someone and you're going to listen to some pride. Okay. Now, there's this gal. Her name is Joan. You can put her name up there. I'm just going to wait for her. Where is she? Anyway, she is a Benedict nun. She is a writer and an author. There she is. Look at that last name. I'm not going to say it. There's no way. Anyway, her name is Joan. And this is what she says. It is pride to say wretch. It is pride to want to wrench my world and all the people in it to my ends. It is arrogance to the utmost to insist that other people shape their lives to make mine comfortable. It is arrogant, unabashed to think that God must do the same. Now, when I believe this kind of stuff, this is nuts. The others have to do what I wanted, the way I wanted. That's nuts. Randy's been talking about this. And when we insist God to do our way, or I won't have anything else to do with him. He's going to X him out. I'll act religious, but I'm not going to go for intimacy with God. Because he disappointed me, and therefore, pride, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. Pride destroys our ability to have relationship with God, with one another, and ourselves. So let's pray. That was just the introduction. It's warming up. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for the strategies that you gave Peter and how meaningful and practical they are. 2,000 years later, Lord, you blow our mind. When we read your word and we read it, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, did you read this with me in mind? Yes. So, Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these last few strategies that you're going to give us. May we really incorporate them into the maneuver in this world, bringing glory to your name and not shame to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, really quick review. I just want to review real quickly First Peter. I know it's taken us weeks, but in just a snip, we're going to do highlights. Chapter 1. These are strategies from 1 Peter. Remember who you are, chosen people, adopted into the family of God. And then our hope is a living hope, secured by God for eternity. Chapter 2. We're strangers, resident aliens in a world systems and its values. Chapter 3. Submission is one of our strategies. Blessing those who curse us is part of our strategy. Chapter 4. Suffering as a strategy. 
And chapter 5, Christian leadership and fellowship. Now, finally, with our last strategy, it has nothing to do... Isn't that cute? Yes. Finally, our last strategy for living as resident aliens is not at all related to people that we relate to. It's related to a force, a demonic force whose mission is to destroy us. Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Now, when I went to the Alamo Dome, and I was told by Randy that this is called, we're going to experience home court advantage. So I read about it after the fact, because I wanted to know what home court advantage was all about. And apparently, if you're the home team, and you're playing in your city, and the visiting team it has a disadvantage. Because the home team is playing in facilities they're very familiar with, plus they're surrounded with the majority of the people out there being their fans, right? Home court advantage. So a good example, I did some reading. Home field or home court advantage seen in NBA basketball. Listen to this. The home team in deciding games have won 78 of 97 contests. You're not excited? How many here are sports fans? Okay, so those of you could be excited. Go, wow! Dude, wow! Okay, all right. Okay, now the bad news is that the devil has home court advantage. We are the aliens. We are the visiting team, if you will. But wait a minute, I thought this is my father's world. You know, I, I thought that the world belonged to God. Don't we belong to God? Well, yes and no. 1 John chapter 9, verse eight, 19 says this, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The devil has some significant home court advantage. Currently in the world, the world is under his control. And the one who's under his control hates our guts. In fact, he hates our neighbor's guts. He hates your boss guts who's bugging you. He hates the kids down the street who threw a rock at your house. He hates everybody's guts. And that is why there's so much evil and perversity and wickedness in this world. Because it's his home court. Now what takes us off of his home court is awesome. The good news is that when Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead, he broke the power of the evil one. And anyone who embraces that is no longer under the domain and embrace of the evil one's grip. We're still in his home court. This is still his turf. But we are no longer under the entanglement of his power. He's no longer our master. He's no longer our Lord. He's no longer king of our lives. Now, what's really cool is when I went with Randy, we were there for two weeks. We were on a mission ministry trip with John Wimber. And we were there for two weeks. So when you live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where we lived, you wear shorts. When you go to England in November, towards the end of the year, it's rainy, it's foggy, it's cold, you need warm stuff. So imagine a young woman trying to cart two weeks of clothing in a bag of 
one luggage or allowed one piece of luggage, right? It was very difficult, so I only could fit a week. I mean, sweaters, coats, scarves, you know, all that. A week, that's it. So somewhere halfway between the trip, I was going to have to do some laundry. Fortunately, we got to stay in the home of the director of the Anglican Church. And she had this teeny little cute washing machine. Where's the dryer? And she had gone to work, no dryer. Now, all my clothes, except the ones I were wearing, were wet. And I thought, well, how do they do it here in England? They got it. She had a clothesline. Awesome. So I put all my clothes, the Randy's clothes, out in the clothesline, expecting, God, a miracle. Because this is late November. It's raining and it's foggy. How are you going to do this? You guys, I was in and out of the chair, going out there and rebuking those clouds and saying, in Jesus' name, you leave. I went back in was reading because it was our day off. I look out there. I went back. Up, in Jesus' name, you clouds, leave. I'm not exaggerating. Randy, do you remember this? Okay. Well, I did the laundry, not him. So why would he remember? <laughs> okay, you guys. At the afternoon, I take my clothes. I take his clothes. I fold them. They're dry. They're, some of the socks still need a little bit more dryness because they were wool. And the lady goes, the, 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 wife when she came back said just put them over the the furnace uh, that's how they do it there it's just like okay they hope they don't burn so anyway that was good i remember going to church that night for one of the meetings and people oh it was unreasonably clear today <laughs> it was you guys we have authority over the world over the earth because satan has given taken it from Adam and Eve in the beginning, right? They traded their right to live in the realm that we are offered to live in. They traded it to disobey God. Oh, my goodness, isn't that just horrible? If I'd been there, I wouldn't have done that. But we do it daily. We disobey God, right? And we are trading. That is a trade. And God say, no, no. Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead, he released power to you. Live in that realm. Live in the realm of obedience because you will see that that strategy of obedience will allow you to overcome the attacks of the evil one. Wow, simple, simple. Okay, now we're going to read our text that we're actually going to study today. That, I wanted to add this to last week, but it just went too long. So here we go. Can you put that up? There it is. We're going to read it together. In fact, let's stand up. Because I don't want you to fall asleep because this is good stuff. We're going to read it together. Ready? Here we go. Be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Let's stop. Go back. We're going to read it again, and I want you to read it like you mean it. Like you're telling somebody, like you're the leader, because remember all ordained leaders, if you were here last week, and you're telling somebody else. Ready? Here we go. Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Let's go on. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, 
will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Why did I put verse 13? You're going to find out. You can sit down. We'll do that toward the end. Like, why did she stick that in there? I didn't. Did. Okay, Peter doesn't apologize for saying we're at war with the devil. Now, let's be honest. Most people think of the little man with the red suit, not that one, the other one. And they say, how archaic. I mean, really, it's so medieval, so silly. But Peter doesn't have trouble saying in the Bible, no, we have an evil one that is willing and desirous to kill us and destroy us and rob from us. Now, in a book called Screwtape Letters, written by Lewis, he says the evil one is just thrilled to pieces when we don't think he exists. That totally fits his grid. What says there? There are two equals and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, demons themselves, are equally pleased by both errors. They hail the materialist, there is no devil, and they hail the magician with the same delight. Now the problem is two. We either entirely ignore the evil one and say he doesn't exist, or we get overly obsessed and fearful and panic and paralyzed and do nothing with the tools and the power and the authority given us to overcome his works. So, Peter says, strategy, as resident aliens, living in a vicious God, no, living in a turf that belongs to the evil one, don't freeze up with fear, and don't ignore the fact that he's around doing his shenanigans. Don't be ill-equipped. Let me give you the strategies on how to live in this world that belongs to another that is out to kill us. So verses 8 to 10, Peter gives us three strategies to combat spiritual warfare. Be alert, resist the devil, and embrace the grace of God. Let's say that. Be alert, resist the devil, and embrace the grace of God. Let's read the verses. Verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, power. It's off and on. Do we need new batteries? Maybe. I could use the handheld. Hey, Jim, I'm going to use the handheld. Okay. Okay, uh, the message. Keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and will look like nothing better than to catch you napping. <laughs> Verse 8, one of our strategies in combating spiritual warfare is self-control. Be self-controlled. Can we say that? Be self-controlled. So when we're not self-controlled, our guard is down, right? Our strategy is down. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, a man without self-control is a man without 
a wall around his city. Okay, what's a man doing in a city with no wall at that time when this scripture was written? He was dead meat. Any enemy, any raiders, any barbarians could come and just wipe him out because he had no strategy for when the evil one came. Self-control is one of our strategies. Texts, emails, messages on our phones, internet sites we need to check, apps we need to download, Facebook, Twitter accounts, YouTube videos to watch, blogs to read. You guys, it is too much. It is too much. And we lack self-control, and then what happens is we become detached from the spiritual realm, and we forget that the evil one's there, ready to wipe us out. Because we're so detached, so attached to this, and so distracted and overstimulated. Now, I'm a parent of five lovely daughters, beautiful daughters, all of them. And I'm also a mother of five very fun, creative grandkids. And I know about kids that if you overstimulate them, there's going to be a problem. Too much, too much you know, excitement, too much sugar, too much Dr. Pepper. You're going to have problems. You're going to have one very cranky, sassy, mouthy, temper tantrum, meltdown child, right? Well, why do we assume as adults that I can handle it? Well, because our temper tantrums look a little more subtle. They're not quite as obvious. But we're fooling ourselves. Overstimulation, lack of self-control, distractions, messes up, and they detach us from the reality of the spiritual realm and the spiritual attack that we live in on a daily basis. Now, in February, our church is going to start a fast, a corporate fast. Okay, start February the 17th, and we're going to end on Easter Sunday, March 31st, 40-day fast. Consider this challenge, especially if you're under 30, but not necessarily limited to 30s because I've just recently had a Facebook. I really enjoy reading what you're posting there, seeing pictures and going, I need to pray for her. What, did you see what she wrote? That's awesome. Go, girl. Okay. But I would like you to consider fasting from Facebook. Music, texting, YouTube videos, video games, movies. Turn off the cell phone, the computer at 8 o'clock. And use the last hour or two to connect with God and connect with your family. And don't turn it back on after you connect it with God. Leave it off. Fast. Fast. And when you have to in the morning, okay, put it back on. And in that period of time where you're disconnected from the distractions, connect with God. Ask him, Lord, what are you doing? And what's, the, what's been Satan been doing in my life that I've missed out on? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The first word translated here, self-control, is the word nafel, which means abstain from wine. Be sober. Now, if you've ever seen someone who's had too much alcohol, you can really note that they're a little slower. 
right? Their perception seems a little warped. And they think everything they say is really funny. And if you're sober, you're thinking, that was not really that funny. And oh, I'm so witty. Not really. Their perception is warped. Now, although abstaining from alcohol is part of the root meaning here, nepho, and it may be a good practice, it also has the meaning of being sober-minded, self-control. So when we get out of control, we stop being alert to what's happening around us. And things don't, the things that should matter don't matter. And we start obsessing about things that are just not all that important. Okay, like we obsess about ordinary things about life. For example, what am I going to wear today? Any girls, guys willing to admit that you obsess about what you're going to wear today? What am I going to order when we go to Grady Barbecue for lunch? You've been thinking about that ever since the announcement. You're trying to stay connected to what I'm saying because that announcement sounds really interesting, Kevin. <laughs> what does my boss think about me? And what about that grade? I wonder what's going to happen with that test. And if I get sick, will I make enough money to take care of my family? And Peter tells the church in verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God. You guys, this is one of our strategies. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God cares for you. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. All that ordinary, mundane stuff of life, don't let it carry you away and make you obsess about it. Don't let it cloud your vision about the spiritual realities that we live in. Obsessing blinds us and can paralyze us. You know, I know I should go to community group, but I really need to clean my house, so I'll think about doing it next week. I know I should talk to Melissa about volunteering with children's ministry, but, you know, what about my bills? Not even connected. I mean, it's not even stuff connected, right? I know I should have time to make time to read my Bible and to pray, but, you know, I've got this work project, and I need to just look at it just one more time. Obsessing and being distracted by life makes us procrastinators, paralyzes, and not fit for war. Obsessing is part of the evil one's arsenal. It is spiritual warfare. So Peter tells us, give your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Now, some of us look at, if I say spiritual warfare, you think, oh, it's like a chihuahua that goes, yap, 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 right? But that's not how Peter describes it. Peter says, it's like a roaring lion ready to swallow you up and devour you. Now, question, how sober do you have to be to hear a roaring lion? Not very. Okay, but I read up about how lions do this, okay? Lions see their victim, they circled it, and then they go down onto the floor and they go, roar! And they go a little further, and they circle and they go, roar! Till that victim is so confused, thinks that there's a bazillion of lions, and they get paralyzed and easy game. 
right? That's how the evil mom works. We feel surrounded. Doesn't that sound like obsessed? We feel paralyzed. And the main way that the evil one does this to us is by lying to us. Peter said, Jesus said about Satan, he is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. He lies. He speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar, and he will attack you with lies about you, about God, about others. His nickname is the accuser of the brethren. God's not going to come through for you. Are you kidding? After what you did? Seriously. You're gross. And this is another one that I hear often from people. Well, most people can be forgiven, but not me. I've, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. Really? If you're worried about having committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. Seriously, you haven't. The unforgivable sin is this. I'm a Pharisee. I've heard the news, and I'll have nothing to do with God till death do us part. And that Pharisee never changes his heart, never repents, and goes to his grave separated from God. That is the unpardonable sin. When we willfully determine from death do us part, we want nothing to do with God. So if you're still alive, you haven't committed it. And you could tell that to anybody that tells you that story. You're still alive? Don't worry. You haven't committed it. The unpardonable sin is you go to your grave and you still have nothing to do with God. So we're to be alert and we're to resist the devil. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Next time Satan lies to you, just tell him, shut up. And rehearse the strategies we talked about in these last few weeks uh, from Peter. You are beloved by God. You've been adopted by God. You are a resident alien, so things are going to be a struggle. You're going to suffer. Be a Christian leader. Get connected to Christian leaders. Be a follower. Submit. Rehearse those things and live them. Now, another attack that the evil one does with us is related to our, our appetite, okay? Now, is there anything wrong with food? Oh, food's a good thing, right? In fact, the fact that we have hunger pains right now, because we're in anticipation of having lunch at Grady's Barbecue across the street, <laughs> is a sign that God loves us because he knows we need food. And when a child or an adult gets to that place where they don't want food anymore, they have no hunger pains, that person is ill, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with food. The problem with food is when we overdo it. No self-control, and that's called gluttony, right? Is there anything wrong with sleep? No. In fact, some of you are sleep-deprived, and you should take a nap. Not right now. <laughs> Later on, you should take a nap, right? But if we sleep too much and escaped into sleep too much, guess what? That's called slothfulness, right? What about sex? God created sex. He even created the desire for sex. Is sex bad? In the right place, in the purposes of God, 
It is beautiful, rewarding, and very enjoyable. Okay? Outside of that context, it is called lust. Lust, slothfulness. The other one, what's the other one? Gluttony. That is the plan of the evil one, to get us out of control and to be in bondage to that. And the worst thing about the way Satan works is after he got you hooked, he says this lie. You are gross. You're gross. Just look at you. Like he's the one that tempted you and you, you know, bought into it. But you're gross. God's never, ever, ever going to use you. And the worst thing about this is this is who you are. This is your identity. This is your sexual identity. This is your appearance identity. This is what you're about. Wow, what? A, I told you he was ugly. He's ugly. He's ugly. And he's a liar. And that lie is out of the pit of hell. That is not your identity. Demons like cockroaches. Or demons are like cockroaches. They like trash. Right? You have a trashy place. You're going to find cockroaches there. And what attracts demonic activity is unrepented sin in our life. That's garbage. And so, you guys, we have to learn to put our garbage out every day. Every day. Go to the cross, repent, confess, walk away clean, no garbage. Satan's going to have a hard time attacking you if you're regularly getting rid of the garbage from your heart. So be self-controlled, be alert, and embrace the grace of God. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, it takes two things to get set free and stay free. The power of God and a man's will. If you have those two things, you've got something good going for you. And so this verse says, the God of a little grace, the God of a little power. Is that what yours says? No, the God of all grace. The power that called Jesus to come out of the grave is in you to set you free and keep you free. And no matter whose court we're on, we have the power to live a supernatural life in that court. Okay, now, last point. In verse 10, the key words are restore, strong, firm, and steadfast. And if we put these all together, we are unmovable. We don't have to do it alone. Right? Who is doing the restoring? Who is making us strong? Who is making us firm? It does not say be alert, resist the enemy, and try a little bit harder. It doesn't say be, resist the enemy, be alert, and good luck. No. He knows we cannot do it alone, and he's here with us to help us walk in grace, his power, his empowering presence, to do what he's called us to do and be what he's asked us to be.
Now, in verse 13, I told you I was going to put that in there, and we're going to look at it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Now, she who is in Babylon is the church from which Peter is writing from. Now, Peter is not in Babylon. He's in Rome when he wrote First Peter. So what's he talking about? She who is in Babylon is a metaphor for the church under captivity, behind enemy lines, who are resident aliens in this world. He's covertly saying that to them. You and I are in captivity. We are resident aliens, and at times, we're in a time called the already, but the not yet. Jesus came and initiated the already, and the not yet is when Jesus comes again. And between that space, we are resident aliens in the enemy's turf with a lot of power that some of us are not using or utilizing, and some of us are, praise God. Psalm 137, we're going to get an image of what it's like to be a captive in Babylon. My, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. That means they put their bass players with their straps on there, right, on the trees. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded a song of joy, and they said, sing one of your songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? While we live in a time of captivity, the already but the not yet, we don't fit in. We're still resident aliens, but we have hope that Jesus is going to return and take us to Zion. We're just going to have to need to suffer a little bit longer. Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back his exiles, I translate that resident aliens, to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. Oh, wow. Isn't that beautiful? We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. We are the church behind enemy lines, but it's temporary, folks, just to suffer a little bit longer. One day Jesus will come back, and we will no longer be in enemy zone. No more home court advantage for him. All spiritual warfare will be done. But until then, we're at war. Okay. Now, we've been on this sermon track for a while, and some of you have been working at using the strategies that God's given you. I've been hearing you. You've been telling me, Clara, submission. I've been doing this submission thing at home, at work, and this is what happened. Clara, this whole Christian leadership thing, also I have this boldness because I know I'm an ordained leader and I'm beginning to do stuff differently. Clara, I understand now who I am in God. I'm adopted. Yes, my parents, my siblings have nothing to do with Christianity, but I have this hope if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Did anything happen to you in this series where you said, like, whoa, and these are some others I didn't mention? Okay. So if you want to share your testimony related to the strategies of Peter, not about something you heard from God this morning that's nice, but it's not related to this, I'd like you to come and share so that we can be encouraged by what God's doing. Okay? And I'm going to ask Joy to facilitate this time.
She has vision for it. Um, okay, so those of you who raised your hand, just all come up over here. I'm going to hang on to the microphone. I'm just going to ask you a string of short questions. So you don't have to take the mic. You don't have to um, be afraid. I'm just going to ask you a few questions, and then we'll answer. So um, what part of First Peter did you feel like you've been putting into practice? Submission. Submission. And what change has that brought? Uh, a reality of the power of God. A reality of the power of submission. So people's attitudes changed, and she didn't have to change them. By submitting, they were changed. Thank you. Okay, Sheila, what part of First Peter has been affecting you? It was about submission. Again, about submission. I got to witness on Facebook. She witnessed on Facebook. Um, I am a Christian, and it's very open in any context. Okay. Um, so how did submission factor into that? So you explained how you submitted to that rule. And, and I got to tour about the circumstances. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So submission was a segue to evangelism. Awesome. Thank you, Sheila. Um, I also wanted to get maybe like four or five people who went through our workshop yesterday up here and just do the same kind of thing. Um, if you were in the workshop yesterday, raise your hand. And, okay, that's... You can probably, four or so of you, just come on up here. Kevin, I'm going to pick you out. Alice, you're not allowed because you just talked already. Tina, Cindy, Anthony, come on. We had a workshop yesterday where we were, I called your name, where we were um, being trained in a, some new formats or ways of how to help people find healing and freedom in their lives. So hopefully we're going to start getting to use some of those tools around here to see this church and then people outside the walls of this church begin to find some freedom. We have lots of tools that we use when we're praying for people and we learned some new tools. Um, I'm just going to name them, I'm not going to explain them, but you can get an explanation from any of these people if you'd like to. So a few that we learned were the Father Ladder, the Four Doors, uh, the bucket, and the wall. So, Anthony, of those four, was there one exercise we went through that kind of impacted you? I'm trying, I'm trying to keep this not go on for an hour, so. So just, just summarize to me real quick. Which tool? Which tool was it? The wall, okay. And with the wall, um, there's like a something separating between you and God. So what name did the father give, or what name did your wall have? Uh, the wall was called Stoicism. It was called Stoicism, or unfeeling. And uh, did you break down the wall, or did Jesus? Both. Both. You did it together. What, what tool did he give you to break it down? It was a musical instrument used to bring down his wall. And when the wall was down, did the Lord give you a gift? Um, yeah. What did you receive from him? Um, it was just uh, actually the words, um, 
unapologetic worship. So from stoicism to freedom and free worship. Thank you. Okay, Tina, the Father Ladder, and which um, part, so the, in the Father Ladder, we talk about God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, Jesus, and <clears throat> we have different issues in our lives, and sometimes those can be connected to different parts of the Trinity, and you might feel more connected to an image of Father because you had a good Father. You might feel like you can't picture God the Father because you didn't have a good Father. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but so we kind of narrow it down to one of those parts of the Trinity, to which one... Um, there's some kind of barrier between that we want to work on. So which, which part of the Godhead did you feel like you... Okay, so the Holy Spirit and can sometimes be connected to issues with our mother. Um, and I'm trying to think here. So you probably had some... What was, was there a word or something you want to... Yeah. Okay, so she felt disengaged from the Holy Spirit... Was that connected to anything with your mother in real life? Yes, it was. Okay. And, okay, a little surprise there. Not sure why that was there. And uh, what did the Lord reveal to you about yourself and your mother? Okay, so you were able to do some forgiveness to your mom. And at the end of it, did the Holy Spirit um, give you a gift? There's more work to be done. So something was kind of raised up, right. and we're going to come back to it. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, Kevin, which was there a particular tool, exercise that we did that you connected with? Uh, I didn't hear about the wall. The wall? Okay. So uh, what did the, did there's a name for your wall? Um, Self-protection. Self Annihilation, as in death. Okay, just total, complete absence of life. And uh, were you able to bring the wall down? Jesus smashed it. Did he use any particular tool? A wrecking ball. And uh, were you? Did you receive a gift or uh, some new word or name change? Okay, so a missionary call being expanded to other parts of the world. <laughs> okay, you're not going to be annihilated. It's going to be safe to take those walls down. Amen. Thank you. Cindy, was there a particular tool we used that impacted you? The Father Ladder. And which part of the Trinity did you connect with? Okay, so Jesus, sometimes um, if we have siblings and we had issues with our siblings, sometimes we have trouble connecting with the Jesus part of the Trinity. If you're an only child, they explain to us that it could be um, clo very close friendships or classmates. And uh, what, um, I should have I brought my notes up here with me. Um, was what, is there a specific name for the problem that you were stuck on with the siblings or Okay. Okay, so you're the annoying one, and she was just this beautiful or wonderful person, and you weren't good enough for her. So probably then, how did that translate into your relationship with Jesus, your perception of him? That was a lie. That's a lie. Yeah. And he gave me the gift that uh, we, he was inviting me to climb an arm 
partner and walk with him because you are equal and he's he has made you whole and made you perfect you don't need to be good enough amen thank you thank you joy thank you all for sharing all righty service is long so we're going to be done let's stand and uh, i'll ask the lord to bless you with a remembrance of the strategies you've learned throughout this series that you'll walk in it, and if you want some ministry, uh, those who just recently went through all that training, time to practice. Man up and practice. So, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the truth that comes in through your word. I thank you, Father, for um, revealing to us even more of your strategies. Lord, may these strategies become tools on our tool belt that we know when to use them, Lord, and use them wisely and with love. And, Father, I pray that any weapon formed against you for this week would be just null and void and separated from attaching itself or bothering you in any way. That you would be full of God's grace, his empowering presence to do what he's called you to do and be what he has for you to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, if you have a pain on your left knee, I was given a word by one of our elders that someone here is experiencing pain in their left knee, please come forward so that they can pray for you. If you have um, any need for physical or emotional or whatever, come up and get prayed for. There'll be people here to pray for you. And then immediately at the end of the service, take your bulletin with you. They will give you a 10% discount if you have a vineyard bulletin with you. That's awesome, okay? That's the tip right there, or almost a tip. Okay, thank you. Bless you. <laughs>